morning. Welcome to the live stream of New Hope Presbyterian Church. My name is Tommy Allen, and I'm the lead pastor. This morning, as we, uh, before we enter into a time of teaching, I thought I would lead us in a time of prayer for just the pandemic we're in. There's a great prayer guide at the SIM, S-I-M, uh, website, and I'm gonna be using a few of the prayers from that website. And so uh, if you would like to pray along, if you're watching this live, um, you can do that. If you are not, you can fast forward if you're watching this uh, later. So let me pray for us. Father, I do pray as we begin this morning and we're going to, to look at the gospel of Matthew that you would open the eyes of the blind and the ears of the deaf. Um, I pray for the pastors this morning throughout the world um, that are affected and infected by COVID-19. We pray the Holy Spirit would give these shepherd leaders the right words for the right time and the right actions for each situation. Pray, we pray that they would speak the gospel uh, in heart, word, and deed to each person that they encounter. And Father, I do pray that you would give our people uh, patience. I pray that you would give us um, the ability to, to understand when we should submit to the government, when we should push a little bit. And I do pray for the day that we get to regather. I pray for the governing officials and decision makers that are leading countries and organizations through crisis. Um, Father, that you've allowed them each to be in these places of influence. I pray that you would mobilize uh, resources quickly and effectively where they're most needed. And we do pray for those who are working behind the scenes that you would give them good administration and execution of their response efforts. Father, I also pray for those waking up each day to the fallout uh, caused by COVID-19, that they would reach out to the Lord. We pray that they would earnestly seek you. We know um, that desire comes from you and we know that, that they will meet, you will meet them. We also pray for businesses and livelihoods that are ruined by the halt in many sectors of the economy. Uh, we pray for those who have lost their jobs, who, who may lose their jobs. We pray for churches that um, struggle financially. We pray for all of these things. And we also pray, Father, um, I look forward to, to the new things that you are going to do through this, that uh, perhaps by, by you brought this virus to guard us from some other thing or to push us in a direction. I pray that you give us eyes to see that. And so even now, as we enter into this time of teaching, I pray that you would uh, be in my head and in my thinking and in my heart and in my understanding and in my mouth and in my speaking. In Jesus' name, amen. So let me read today's text to begin. We're looking at the Gospel of Matthew. We've been looking at the Sermon on the Mount. And this morning we're in chapter 6, verses 19 through 24. And Matthew says this, he says, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. And this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So let me ask you this question. Um, remember, Jesus expects his followers to do acts of righteousness. The whole Sermon on the Mount is about that, right? You, you sort of, the lead up to it is 
people are coming to follow Jesus, and then he calls them together and basically teaches them what it means to be his follower, and he expects them to do acts of righteousness. And so the question, the really the question that all of chapter 6 brings up is this, is when you do your acts of righteousness, or when you do any acts of righteousness, or let's say maybe you're watching, you're not even a Christian, and you say, you, you, when, whenever you do something good, do you, do you do your acts of righteousness because you are righteous or because you want to be seen as righteous? In other words, do you do your do, do you do good deeds because you're a good deed doer, as the Wizard of Oz would say, or because you just want to be seen as being a good deed doer? That's a problem. And, and if we're honest with ourselves, sometimes we do things just because we want to be seen as someone who does the right thing rather than someone who actually wanted to do the right thing. And so if you remember in chapter 6, Jesus has addressed the, the sort of three pillars of the Jewish uh, Jewish piety, and that would be giving and prayer and fasting. And the, the question is, right, when you give, do you give um, because you're generous and because you'll be rewarded by your father in secret? Or are you giving um, because you want to be seen by others? Remember, he talked about uh, the Pharisees sort of tooting their own horn as they gave. Same thing with praying. When you pray, do you pray in order to be seen by others, like you make very public prayers and things like that, or do you do you pray in your closet? And last week, we talked about fasting, right? When you fast, he didn't say if you fast, yeah, when you fast, do you fast to gain a perspective on God's, uh, on, on grievous events, God's perspective, or on the other hand, do you fast in order to be seen? And remember, he says you disfigure your face and things like that. And basically what he's pointed out is that these are all good things, but if they're used wrongly, they don't lead to your best life, right? If you're using good things in a wrong way, you're, that's not gonna benefit you ultimately in the long run. And that's where Jesus goes today because he talks about money. And money in and of itself is not bad. Remember the, the uh, Timothy, Paul says to Timothy that it's not, money is not the root of all evil, but the love of money is the root of evil. Money is just what it is. I mean, in, in, in some sense, it's good because it's a physical, God created as there. How we use it though, can make things good or make things bad. So Jesus this morning in the text we're looking at is gonna challenge our relationship to money. Right? How often do you think about it? Like, especially during this time of the virus and, and unemployment and all of these things, um, maybe it's a good time to have our relationship with money challenged. And by the way, this is one of the reasons I t tend to preach through books of the Bible or tend to preach through big sections of the Bible so that um, people can't say, oh, you're just preaching about giving because you, know, you need money and blah, blah, blah. What's interesting is I preach through sections of the Bible and I think I preach about money all the time because the Bible talks about money so much. So we're gonna look at three things this morning. Three things we're gonna look at is uh, two treasures, two eyes, and two masters. So those are our points today. Two treasures, two eyes, and two masters. So first thing Jesus talks about is two treasures. Look at verses 19 through 21. Verse 19, he says, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust, where, where moth and rust destroy and thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasure in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where neither thieves do not break in and steal for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Um, so the first thing he says, he says, here's what you don't do. He says, don't lay up for yourselves treasures on earth. Now, 
what does he mean by that? Right? Is he saying that basically you shouldn't save? Is he saying that, that money is bad? I, I don't think so, Ab absolutely not. You won't often find me quoting John Wesley, but uh, Wesley's comment on this passage is pretty helpful. He said, when Jesus says, do not store up, he did not mean that we shouldn't pay taxes or pay off loans. It does not prohibit providing the means of sustenance. It does not prohibit labor that provides for our families. It does not prohibit occasionally storing up in order to accomplish what God has called us to accomplish. And in fact, if you think about it, Jesus' whole ministry was reliant upon people who had jobs or businesses. Jesus, um, remember that he said the son of man had no place to lay his head. Jesus was an itinerant preacher. He was completely dependent on other people supporting him. And so he can't be saying you shouldn't have any money because the other people's money is how Jesus did his ministry. So what does he mean then? What's he getting at? And I think the, the, what he's getting at here is the danger of putting all of our hope and, and comfort and trust in goods and wealth and uh, physical things. And so notice what it, where he says, do not lay for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and thieves break in and steal. Now, what, when he says that, he's not saying anything radical or anything anyone hadn't thought of. In, in other words, in the ancient Near East, um, it was very hard to store wealth because of, of the fact that they didn't have preservatives like we have. They couldn't store food like we have. They had vermin and rats and things, which, I mean, we have some, but we were pretty good at killing them. Um, and also there were thieves. There's there just no security, relatively speaking. They didn't have ring cameras on their doorbells and things like that. And so for them, they knew it was, if you were, the more you had, the more you, energy you were going to have to put in to protect it. And so it wasn't a surprise to them that, that wealth could be fleeting, that you could lose everything because of a bad year at crops. And for us, we have the exact same problem. It just looks a little different, right? In other words, this, the pandemic, I, I remember one of the first things when things started shutting down for the pandemic and the stock market, which had been in record territory for you know a couple of years, started to just crash and crash and crash. Because I had a lot of friends who were close to retirement and they said it totally changed everything for them because they, put their, they didn't put all their hope in it, but just as a matter of fact, they were getting ready to retire and the stock market was very high and then suddenly it was gone. So we have the same issues in our lives. We can put our trust in wealth and we can put our trust in our things, but at the end of the day, they're pretty fleeting. If the pandemic has taught us anything, it's that. Um, how many people have lost their businesses? How many people have lost savings? How many people are just trying to put food on the table? And that's all because of things that are completely out of our control. So the danger for a disciple of Jesus is to put all of their, their eggs in the financial basket, if you will, because it, it's a danger for anybody. But for us, where there should be a different way. And that's where Jesus goes next. Notice he says, verse 20, he says, do not, 19, do not lay up for yourself treasure on earth. He says in verse 20, but lay up for yourselves treasure in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and thieves do not break in and steal. So he's, he's pointing them to a more secure investment with their wealth. And if you remember also, by the way, when we're looking at the Sermon on the Mount, most of Jesus' followers and his original audience, they weren't just all poor people. There were probably people like us. They had some means, some way to protect themselves or to provide for themselves. And basically he says, there's a different kind of investment and there's an investment that's imperishable. 
right? Imagine the, the, an investment where the guardian of your investment is rats and vermin and rust and thieves, or an investment that is imperishable and is guarded by God himself. Jesus says, that's the investment you should be looking at. And what investment is he talking about? He says, lay up for yourself treasures in heaven. Now, what does he mean by lay up for yourself treasures in heaven? If you remember, as we've gone through the Sermon on the Mount, heaven is often a synonym um, for the kingdom of God. Um, and remember when we even, we prayed the Lord's prayer, he says that, that do your will, in, may your will be done on earth as it is done in heaven. So more than likely what Jesus means here is by, by lay up treasure in heaven is that we are to be using our wealth um, to, be, to be building the kingdom of God. Or when we use our wealth to build the kingdom of God, we are actually laying up treasure in heaven. And when do we do this? We do this when we support churches and missions and ministries and the poor and the outcast and medical care for people who need it. All of these things are investments, if you will, in the restoration of Shalom. So that maybe that's a good question to ask when you're spending your money. Am I spending my money toward the restoration of shalom, the way things ought to be, right? That's what the whole gospel does, that Jesus comes, he lives the life we should have lived, dies to the death we should have died, he raises from the dead, and at his resurrection, he begins, sets in motion the restoration of all things to the way they are supposed to be. And when we're using our money, are we using our money toward that end, or are we not? I mean, we all have to eat, we have to take care of ourselves, nothing wrong with that but we all also have extra, and most of us do. Um, and I was just thinking this morning even about what does that look like in, in real life? And I just thought about my own testimony. You know, I didn't go to church growing up. My family didn't go to church growing up. But over the years, people gave very generously to a church called First Presbyterian Church in North Palm Beach, Florida. And that church uh, partnered with a ministry called Young Life and people generously supported this ministry called Young Life. And one thing led to another, and I was, because that church sponsored that program, I was invited to a camp, and I heard the gospel and became a Christian, and it changed my life. Because someone invested in those ministries that were investing in God's kingdom. And then God has, has used me to start churches, to help plant churches, and to be here even now. That wouldn't have happened if someone, at some point, wasn't generous toward the kingdom of God. If they didn't think I'm gonna lay up treasure in heaven. Now the great, why, what's the greatest reason um, that we would wanna lay up our treasure in heaven? That's where Jesus goes next. And it's very interesting because remember up to this point in chapter six, he keeps saying, go to your father, go to your, when you pray, go to your closet. When you fast, go you know, home, don't, don't tell anybody. Go to your father in secret who will reward you. That there's this, this theme that God wants to meet with us in secret. In other words, that God wants our heart. That the whole Sermon on the Mount is about inward righteousness. God wants our heart. And notice what Jesus says in verse uh, 21. He says, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. In, in other words, that, that, that there's a nuance of phrase there that you have to pay attention to because we tend to read that verse almost as a gut check, right? The, the um, we sort of read it like, well, basically we say, whatever you love gets your money, right? And there's truth to that, but that's not what Jesus is saying here. He says, wherever you put your treasure, there your heart will be also. In other words, what he's saying is your heart follows your money. And so 
what does that look like? Whatever you're investing in, that's what you start to pay attention to. Whatever gets your money is what, what also has your attention. And many of you if, you, if you go to our church, you've heard this story before, but this, it's true. So years ago, when we were planting a church in Capitol Hill in Seattle, I used to travel a lot training church planners, and I was gone, and I called home one time, and my wife, Judy, said, well, the girls found a kitten in Volunteer Park this morning. And the first words out of my mouth, don't let, don't let them name her. Don't, just don't let them name that thing. And Judy's first words in reply were, Katie. In other words, we now had a cat. And I said, well, you better get it, get, take it to the vet and get his shots and what have you. So later that week I called and said, so did you get the cat taken care of? And Judy said, yes, this is 20 years ago. And I said, great, how much did it cost? 300 bucks. And the first thing I said was, did you get it a collar? And Judy said, why, do, why would I get it a collar? I said, because I just invested $300 in that cat. I don't want to lose it now. In other words, even though I didn't care about the cat, even though I didn't want the cat, because the cat now had my money, I was concerned about the cat. As postscript, Katie didn't last very long, but that's another story. <laughs> The point is, is wherever we invest, we tend to, to go. And what's also important about that is it helps us to, to understand God's love for us, right? That you and I are the recipients of God's greatest investment. In other words, what, what did God invest to, to have us, to, to own us, if you will? He invested the thing that was most precious to him, his only begotten son. So God gave everything to purchase us, to everything to, to purchase our forgiveness. Do you think that he is going to not pay attention to you after he has done that? If this is true, if, if where your, your heart, wherever your treasure is, your heart will be, you and I have the heart of God because he has invested everything in us because of the cross of Christ. And do you think he's not paying attention? Do you think he's going to abandon you? He's given everything for you. And knowing that he's given everything for you, you can also know that you have his heart as well. And you see, when you begin to, to look at giving this way, that it's an investment in the, the restoration of shalom, and it's really a response to God's investment in us, it becomes a means of grace. It, be, it becomes, instead of just a duty, like, oh, I better give 10% to church, I better give a certain amount to the, to the Y or to, to Ken Hope or something, it becomes a means of grace. And you begin to think, how can I bless more and more people? How can I bless, lay up more and more treasure? Well, um, the place to begin, really, in some ways, is with your eyes. That Jesus, the next part passage here, the part of this passage is, in many ways, confusing. I think to modern ears, it's a lot of uh, scholars debate about it, and I, I'm going to try and make sense of it for you. If you look at verse 22 and 23, Jesus says, "The eye is the lamp of the body. Your whole body will be full of light." But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. Then the light in you is, if then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness. Now, a lot of people say, what in the world does this have to do with giving? What does it have to do with generosity? What does it have to do with laying your treasures up in heaven? And I think it, and when you dig into it, it has everything to do with that. And so, what does he mean when Jesus says the eye is the lamp of the body? Basically, he says there are two, two eyes we're dealing with here. And in the ancient Near East, 
there's a healthy eye and a bad eye. And in the ancient Near East, their, their understanding, their worldview was that the eye were, were the windows to the soul. A lot of the, where you, you've heard that before, I'm sure it's a very popular term, passage that the eyes are the window of the soul. And in the ancient Near East, there were basically two competing theories about the eyes and light. Some people said the, the purpose of eyes is for light to enter the body. And some people said the purpose of eyes is for light to exit the body. In, in other words, as you're looking at things, you're actually casting light on them and, and seeing them. Uh, not very scientific, um, but those were, were the, what, the way they thought about things. And Jesus is speaking in terms that they would understand. And so interestingly enough, he talks about two kinds of eyes. There's healthy eyes and there are unhealthy eyes. And what's even more interesting is that the word healthy in this passage is the word that is almost always used. Um, also, uh, to, to, it's also translated as generous. And so in other words, you could translate this by saying, um, if your eye is generous, your whole body will be full of light. And guess what the word bad there often means? It means greedy. So he says, if, if your eye is generous, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is greedy, your whole body <laughs> will be full of darkness. And what's he getting at there? That basically the generous eye, that what comes out of the generous eye is light. And light in the, the Bible is, is always um, seen as something good. It, it's seen as something positive, as something healthy, or something even glorious, right? Jesus said of himself, what? I am the light of the world. And so he's saying that the, the healthy eye, the, the generous eye, the person who is generous, uh, is a bearer of light, if you will. And basically, let me if I bottom line it for you, the, the healthy eye, the person who is generous, understands the gospel. The person who is who's generous has been changed by it, as opposed to the, to the bad eye or the, the greedy eye, right? And he says, if your eye is bad, your whole body is full of darkness. If then light in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? In other words, if you're greedy, Jesus is saying, you haven't experienced this light. You haven't been transformed. You haven't been changed. Um, and, and your heart is still dark. In, in other words, the way you can tell if your heart is dark, the way you can tell if you really understand the gospel, if you really know God, or if you've if you trusted Jesus, is ask yourself, am I a greedy person? Right? Am I defined by my stuff rather than defined by my relationship with God? And the remedy to that, I think, um, is to change your gaze is to stop looking at, at your wealth as your means of security and your means of comfort, but instead to begin to look to Jesus. In other words, when you, when you begin to, to fix your gaze on Jesus rather than your stuff, it changes you. It can't, it can't help but change you because you begin to see all that was given to, to, on your behalf, all that was given so that you might be bought at a price and that changes you. So if you want your eye to change, if you want to stop being greedy, actually the best place to go is the cross and see the price that was paid on your behalf. And the final thing, when, when you see and you're changed, Jesus gives us the final thing he talks about is two masters here. And this is a pretty famous passage, passage in verse 24. He says, no one can serve two masters for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. 
What I love about this passage is Jesus tells us about two masters, but he really gives us one bottom line. It's, yeah, after he talks about money, you know, he says you cannot serve two masters. He basically personifies money, right? He says the master, and you will either you will either hate the one and love the other, or be devoted to one and despise the other. And what Jesus does is he basically personifies money and puts it up beside the true God and says, okay, here are your choices. Take your pick. And he says, and by the way, you can only pick one. What's going to be your God? Is it going to be the real God or is it going to be money? And the way to determine if money is your God is, is actually pretty simple. Ask yourself, is, is your money your primary source of comfort and security in your life? I mean, is, at the end of the day, if you're honest with yourself, is money the thing that is what makes you comfortable and gives you security? And if you lost everything, would it be the end of your world? Right? Remember during, during the Great Depression back in the, the 20s, when people lost everything, a lot of people jumped off the Empire State Building. That was a pretty clear indication that money was their God. And so, I don't know if you've ever seen the movie, A Simple Plan. It's a great movie, and I forget whether it's kid-friendly. I'm, I'm remembering, I don't think it is. Um, with Bill Paxson and Billy Bob Thornton, there are two brothers. One of them is, is smart and one of them not so smart. And they find like $4 million in the woods. And the whole movie is about them basically trying to protect this $4 million and their life just becomes more and more and more and more miserable. They found it and they thought, hooray! And they, at the end of the day, they wished they'd never found it. Because what ended up happening is they had to spend their whole lives protecting the thing that they had made into their God. Now that's backwards, right? The, the, would you rather have a God you have to protect or would you rather have a God who protects you? What Christianity offers is a God that protects you. And if you think about it, in the, the, if you're a Christian, um, the Bible has two names. I mean, it has a, a, you know, like hundreds of names for God, but there are two names that I think are important to this text. One name of God is Jehovah Jireh, right? And that's, that's the Lord who provides. And another name of God is Jehovah Sabaoth, and that's the, the God who protects you or fights for you. And if you're a Christian and you struggle with greed or you struggle with the not being generous, ask yourself, do I really understand God as the God who provides or the God who protects? If you're not a Christian, ask yourself, would it, what would it mean in my life if I, if I knew there was a God and I had, could trust in a God who both provided for me and protected me? You see, to the extent that the we understand and embrace those two things to the extent that we understand that God has already given everything for us and promises to provide for us in the future is the extent to which we will become more and more generous. And that's really, I think, the goal of the gospel. So think about that. Let me pray for us right now. Father, I do pray um, even now as people are struggling Either, either maybe they have a lot of wealth and they're, they're struggling with the, the concept of losing it maybe during the pandemic, or they don't have a lot of wealth and they're wondering how they're gonna make ends meet. I pray that you would provide grace for both those kinds of people and everyone in between. Father, I pray that you would make us more and more generous. In Jesus' name, we pray all of these things. Amen and amen. You know, I always say in our um, discovery class that if you're a Christian, at least, you should be giving somewhere. And I always say, whether you give to our church or whether you give to some other church, you should be giving and you should be becoming more and more generous. And so one way you can give, um, at this point, if we were in church, right, we, I would finish praying and we'd sing the doxology and then we would collect it, we would do the offertory. 
and this is there would be an opportunity for you to give there there's an opportunity for you to give now you can find the information in the discussion section below um, and if you don't give to our church whether this week or in the future give to some church and remind yourself that the churches and organizations that are taking care of people that there really are eternal consequences for those things and so let me finish. I'm going to close us with one of my favorite questions from the Heidelberg Catechism. I don't know if it is my favorite. I don't know if I have an ultimate favorite, um, but it's an important question from the Heidelberg Catechism. It's question number one. It's the very first question in the Heidelberg Catechism. And the question is this. Question one. What is your only comfort in life and in death? Answer. That I am not my own, but belong body and soul in life and in death to my faithful savior jesus christ he has fully paid for all my sins with his precious blood and has set me free from the tyranny of the devil he also watches over me in such a way that not a hair can fall from my head without the will of my father in heaven in fact all things must work together for my salvation because i belong to him christ by his holy spirit assures me of eternal life and makes me wholeheartedly willing and ready from now on to live for him amen so before we sign off, I just remind you that tomorrow is Memorial Day. Um, in the midst of your barbecues and whatever it is you're doing, take a moment, honestly, and um, consider and think about those who have given their lives in defense of our nation. And so I leave you with this, saying the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and give you peace. Amen and amen.